Back in the Millennium Noggin. Yes. Shagpole downstairs, party up top. Professor Dubious and Witch Dr. Hewitt. Yes. Behind the wheels, we've got the resident Wookiee. He's busy doing other things, so we yeah. won't hear from him no. today. It's all right. We won't yeah, do every episode. No, no. Yeah. That's overkill. <laughs> we don't need a Wookiee noise every episode. Uh, mate, we've got a really big show coming up today, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. Mm. The evil genius, Roderick Chavez, is mm. back to talk about carbohydrates. Resident biologist. Quite controversial, this one. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he gets heated, doesn't he? It does get quite heated. He's very passionate. Heated yeah. at the best of times. Yeah. Probably the lack of sleep. Mm. However... Insomnia, <laughs> insomnia will do that. There's some great stuff about the role that carbohydrates have mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, fueling mm-hmm. mammalian life. Yep. The efficiency of carbohydrates as a fuel source. Yeah. Um, he'll clarify the hormone insulin for us. Well, well it's a storage hormone, It's mate. a storage hormone. That's, and that's the all way, there is to it. Yeah, the way he talks about insulin is fascinating here. So really, you know... Yeah. No pad and pen out for that one. Yep. And I um, got in T crossing with controversial the controversial when he goes into the whole uh, ketosis. Oh, don't get don't get him started on that. Yeah, I'm surprised we went there. Yeah, really, uh, really interesting. Now, Tom, you can be in ketosis and have five thousand grams of carbs a day still. <laughs> it's true. Just take a couple of ketone salts. So the evil genius coming up later in the program. Yes. Go to the Under the Bar podcast website. Yep. Uh, leave us a speak pipe and yep, um, the very the, very popular speak pipe. And uh, aside from that, we may as well just get on with the show. Get into it. Uh, now, Rodan, whilst your mullet and your moustache was mm, bristling, having bristling. to deal with client subconscious non-compliance, yeah. I was in uh, Western Australia. You were, and it threw me out. Yes. No podcast last week. I was six and sevens. What did you do? Mate, I, I scheduled a few uh, appointments with the colleagues, just uh, caught up with various people. So uh, I still came in like I was coming in for the podcast, same time, Yep. left about the same time, just after midday, about one. So still was, sat down uh, and, and, and had a coffee and did yep. various things, but yeah. just filled the space a little differently. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It was quiet. It wasn't the same. So I went and did this uh, this course. Was Which doctor <laughs> over in Perth? Let's, let's call it what yeah, it is. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> it was run by a guy called Dr. Joe Dispenza. A few of our listeners out there may have looked him up. Uh-huh. And essentially what it was, Rawdon, was... Um, <laughs> yeah, I will let our listeners... Oh, sorry, that's a bit loud. I will let our... I was just getting so excited. I will let our listeners know you are saying it was a smirk. Oh, yeah, yeah. You would have loved it. <laughs> and it was basically breaking down the science and the physiology of meditation oh, yeah. and how to actually apply that in various ways. And it was... Mate, it was literally one of the best courses I've ever done. It was it was so enjoyable. <laughs> I, look, if if I was ever to describe a course that you would find the best course you've ever done, yep. it would be something like that. And there were so many uh, applications that I can sort of bring out and relate back to training and nutrition and yeah. the, the body and how things yeah. work. And the way he structured it, he would he would do a, a presentation or a lecture yep. on some science or physiology. And then there would be a practical where you would apply it in a meditative state. All right. So it's 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 the inner workings behind why all these things, why yeah, all these different practices yeah, actually yeah. have an impact. Cool. Yeah. So for example, he took us through, the, I guess, the building blocks of matter and starting with an atom, Ooh. the smallest yeah, unit of- small. It's mm. indivisible. Mm. Get down to the point where we can't break things down any further. Well, you can. That's the atom bomb. <laughs> then you have an atom bomb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't want to split that, Tommy. No. So you start with an atom. Mm-hmm. An atom will combine with other atoms to form molecules. Uh-huh. Molecules come together to create chemicals. Chemicals. Which then form cells. Cells, yep. Cells come together to make tissues. Tissues. Tissues fold over them, themselves and each other to come together in complex arrangements to form organs. Organs, yep. Organs then work together in systems to mm. create systems of the body. 
body mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then you have a human body at the end of that. Holy moly, that's evolution. So it's the way it's all put together. Yep. And then he went back to the atom. He said, okay, if we take a closer look at the actual atom, you've got this nucleus in the center, yeah. proton, neutron, and then there's this electron buzzing around the outside uh-huh. and the actual, the matter, the, an atom, which is obviously like a pinprick on a bee's dick yeah. in, in a grain of sand kind of yeah. thing, yeah. is comprised of 1% actual physical matter. Right. The rest of it is empty space. Okay. And so in this empty space is its energy, its frequency, or as what Dr. Dispenza refers to it as, as information. Okay. It's a field of information. Yeah. And so This is good. Atoms, I'm getting a warm fuzzy feeling yeah, when you yeah. this. Two atoms come together mm. and where they combine they're mm. they're sharing information. So okay. the information that is surrounding them, they're sharing that to create something bigger, huh. which is this molecule. Yeah. And there may be several hundred of atoms coming together to make a molecule yeah. and that molecule represents the shared information of those atoms. Yeah. Now as we come to a work our way up to a cell a cell is the the manifestation of the shared information of all of these molecules now coming together. The cells form a tissue and it works its way up until you've got an organ, mm. which is the culmination of, of hundreds of thousands of atoms that have formed molecules, that have yeah. formed cells, that have yeah. created tissues that make an organ. Yeah. And that organ is essentially has its own shared information, an energy field of that empty space that comprises the majority of the base indivisible particle that makes up that organ yeah and then you put the systems of the body together mm. and you can actually see how when people say you know the energy field of that we exist in the field mm. of energy mm. he broke that down into into the actual science and when he does his advanced workshops he gets a team of neuroscientists in they hook people up to brain scans they, they have thermal imaging of energy and when you see a picture of a person under that uh, of a human body you can actually see an energy field around the human body. Oh, really? So he went through all of that, and then he spoke about the different energy centers in the body. And the traditional Eastern side of things would call those the chakras. But he started at the, um, at the well, I guess the meat and nuts, the, yeah. the sexual organs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got, <laughs> uh, my ears just one. pricked back up. Yeah, with that one. Ooh, so yeah, you continue. So you've got the sexual center. You move uh-huh. up to the digestive center, yep. up to the adrenal center, mm. to the heart, yeah. to the thyroid, and then up to the brain, to the pineal gland and yeah. the pituitary gland. Okay. And so broke down all the science of that. And then you go into a meditation to actually, it's called a blessing of the energy centers meditation and, and hit this beautiful Zen state oh, yeah. and then send awareness to those different parts of the body and work your way up, uh, up the body yeah. to bring those energy systems and those energy centers and systems of the body into alignment. And it, it was just fascinating, absolutely fascinating, mate. Because for anyone out there who does meditate, they would have hit that special yeah, place don't know why, though. where the body is essentially asleep and the mind just stops. And the things that happen when you're in that state, you can't really describe, but it leaves you in no doubt that there's, there has to be a, there's a greater energy than just the physical stuff that we experience in our world every day. Yeah. But to actually put a, a science and some physiology behind that whole process... Yeah. It was just mind-blowing, mate. I loved and I, it. And especially for for where you're at, because our listeners might be like, well, that's a bit bit far-fetched, but, but you were at that point. You'd already yes. started all the meditation. You'd already ha- been exposed to a bit of this guy's work. You had uh, some martinis shaken, not stirred over in uh, New Zealand. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you were on the, the perfect 
uh, yes. timing to, to do yes. a, uh, a course and a, and a seminar with this, mm. this type of content. Tell me, you've you've come away. Have you uh, instantly in a, in a in a different state of Zen, or is it something that you have to now you understand the nuts and bolts? When you do do it, it will have more meaning, uh, influence clients more. Uh, are you concluding from that? Great. Um, and you know, we spoke to James about managing stress. Is this something now that's, that 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 is the a significant part of what you're going to do with your own world but also with your the clients that you're working with it's a good question so personally i have left the course and have a different perspective on the world i didn't want to say but but, but I, I, I knew there was a different energy this, yeah. this sort of glow yeah. your noggin when I around the noggin in. yeah but uh, there's a meditative practice to fulfill afterwards so my, my meditation routine has changed and I've yeah. sort of dedicated a bit more time up at four in the morning to get all these get this stuff done but I look uh-huh. forward to it that's great he did say at the end of the seminar that they're putting together a certification so you can Ooh. you can be able to apply this stuff and that's with my clients that's what I would like to do mate you know I, nice. I would add, particularly as I've moved more into the mentoring mm. and mm. consulting space yeah what fascinates me is when some people get really good results and apply things and other people don't and to equip yourself with some more tools and strategies yeah. to get alignment emotionally and just to reduce this whole stress thing yeah. because it keeps popping up time yeah, and time yeah, again. Yeah. To, to have some tools equipped and be able to, to instruct that process. Yeah, beyond fix sleep. Yeah. Beyond don't stress. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. You know, I need help. Well, Come to what me, do I do? teach you how to train. We'll get your food right. Give you some tools for meditation. Yeah. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll get things in line. We'll structure your business. That holistic approach. So it has definitely influenced the way that I think. Awesome. Yeah. And I suppose when you do do that uh, that round, the version 2.0, the, the more advanced seminar, it, you might even uh, on the, the uh, business card, which Dr. Hewitt, I think that would be appropriate. Yes. You know, yes, that's that a great be, idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you like that wiki can. That's myself. Which doctor? Yeah, why yeah. not? Well, there's no reason why not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Okay, yeah. well, we could probably go, um, this is good enough to, to, to explore. I might let you do your thing for the next few weeks, but yeah. maybe we'll come back to this and, and, and we'll revisit yeah, uh, how your existence has, yep. has evolved yep. since doing this. And, mm. and, 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 and I guess, you know, one of the, the, the key things like... You, you know, when we coach people, uh, clients, athletes, whoever it is, you know, I pride myself on explaining the process. If they get yeah. the process, it works, you know, because they understand why they're doing everything. Yep. And that's essentially what you have the skill set to uh, do now. It's like, well, this is what we're actually trying to do by meditation. Yeah. So by very definition, if they understand the process, they will get the process. So one would think that you'd be able to influence their... Um, that parasympathetic yeah. world, and then and then yeah, the ultimate compliance would would improve, and you know results obviously would speak for themselves. But yeah. if if they understand what's actually happening, the rationale, yeah, the yeah, rationale, really good. Awesome. Uh, right, let's hear from uh, a real biologist. Yeah. Let's get um, the Doctor. evil genius, evil genius Chavez, Doctor Chavez. No, no, no! <laughs> Reevaluate your life, asshole. You're fucking it up. Because you can't cheat biology. A thousand grams of carbohydrates a day, that's what I'm fucking doing. Because you can't cheat biology. Well, Rod, I'm, I'm having deja vu. It seems like it was only just a few minutes ago we were talking yes. to, to Broderick, but it's, uh, it's actually been a couple of weeks. Well, we went into hyperspace, Tom. Well, well this is what happens yeah, in the, the Millennium, millennium Noggin. noggin. Yeah. We've got the Wookiee on hand. <laughs> Wookiee, make, make some noise for me. We do actually have a Wookiee in the, the Millennium Noggin, uh, Broderick. Listen to this. 
<laughs> oh, very oh, man. good. Very there we good. Go. Nice one, Chewy. We do have the evil genius, Broderick, Broderick Chavez. Chavez. Strength and uh, performance coach uh, extraordinaire from yep. Delaware, USA. And as we mentioned at the top of the program, you can contact Broderick for consults yep. and problem solving. That's his absolute specialty. Broderick, welcome back to the podcast. Gentlemen, thank you for having me yet again. Now, okay, if now this is a touchy topic, Tommy. Yeah. You're, you're very brave going down that uh, that lonely, lonely uh, path of, of carbohydrates with Broderick. I've, I've been... Uh, privy to a, a few carbohydrate discussions with him in the past uh, so it might be a little controversial he might get a little heated but uh, certainly a topic that he knows a lot about and uh, is very passionate about well if we think about problem solving Rodan, if there's one macronutrient that causes more carbs are the problems devil. in the carbs world the devil. it's carbohydrates you should go low carb forever <laughs> that's all right oh Broderick well I'm not exactly sure where to start mm. but um, why don't we get uh, your initial spin on the pros and cons yeah. of uh, a very low carbohydrate diet carbohydrates C6H12O6 <laughs> glucose biology 101 I was sitting in the front row uh, approximately uh, <laughs> fall of 1991. I was in your And 11. the professor there said very specifically, and I remember it like it was yesterday, glucose, C6H12O6, the fundamental fuel source of all mammalian biology. Folks, take a moment, sit the fuck down, and play that in your head once or twice. The fundamental fuel substrate of mammalian biology. You boys and girls are mammals. Yep. Fundamental means most important, the most relevant, the most basic. Fuel, we can all kind of figure out what that means. Source, we kind of know what that word means. That sentence means that carbohydrates are basically the progenity of life. <laughs> low carbohydrates, low life. You want to be a low life? Go the fuck ahead. Carbohydrates are the most important thing in human biology. Well, I'm sold. I'm going to go have a plate of carbohydrates after this, Tom. That is very, very definitive. I think so. I only paid, you know, $100,000 for that education. <laughs> I should remember something, you know? Very, very good. Obviously, from that uh, perspective, we can conclude that, that you feel that carbohydrates should be a, a key uh, macronutrient uh, of, of significance in uh, anyone's nutrition plan. So, Tommy, where do you want to go from here? Well, why don't we just pick on the key term fuel? Because, obviously, yeah. the people that listen to the podcast, Rod, and everyone trains, everyone's out there. Yeah. We, we, you know, we're, we earn fuel, we burn yeah. fuel. Yeah. So Earn let, and burn fuel, I like that, Tom. Let's put that into some context. And, and also, I mean, recap, we've done it before. Why don't we actually talk about what actually happens before you talk earn and, and, and burn fuel? We consume carbohydrates. Are all carbohydrates equal when they hit the system? Obviously, low GI, high GI, yeah. talk about that type of stuff. But let's talk about what happens when we, when we uh, ingest carbohydrates, the process. Okay, and invariably, uh, that twin demon that comes in, in concurrence with carbohydrates, you're going to find the word insulin pop oh, up yeah. a yep, number yep, of yep. times. So we're definitely going to have to tackle that. I'll bite my tongue for a moment and not bring up insulin just yet. Well, so carbohydrates, glucose, yep. starch, um, there's a reason why almost every single plant on this planet generates carbohydrates in some fashion or another. Even cellulose, which is inedible to humans, is still, in fact, 
a carbohydrate. Almost every living thing, non-animal on this planet pretty much is exclusively and manufactures exclusively carbohydrates. It's because it's really important, folks. So, so you grow corn, you grow wheat, you grow sorghum, whatever the hell your particular country likes as its staple starch. Rice is a good choice. It's stored carbohydrates via photosynthetic actions of chlorophyll in that plant, and it's stored in there. Now, here's the thing. Plants don't grow for people's edification and survival. Plants grow literally for their own survival. Those plants are storing that carbohydrate because later, gets winter, it gets cold, it gets whatever, photosynthetic processes are not happening, that plant has stored that carbohydrate so that later it can germinate a seed from it and pro, uh, you know, progenerate the, the, the race, continue making more you know, rices or wheats or whatever, mm -hmm. okay? So carbohydrates are really, really important. So you as a person interrupt that fancy and clever biological process and harvest these grains and you consume them. Yep. Either in a processed state or a natural state. That does matter. It doesn't matter to the actual chemical structure of the plant. It's still the same carbohydrate. However, if you, for instance, took a bowl of table sugar, sucrose, and you took a bowl of pasta. There's a, an amount, I don't know the amount at the top of my head, but there's an amount where you would have equal volumes of carbohydrates. Yeah. You would still have 100 grams of carbohydrates, only the sugar would be a very small bowl, and the pasta would be a very large bowl. But at the end of the day, the usable energy in there is exactly the same in terms of grams of carbohydrate or potential development of ATP, which is really what your body uses. And it's measured in joules, not even calories. Even that's a fucking hoax, but I won't go into that. But anyway, you've got these two bowls. Either one you consume, you are taking in the same number of calories, and you are taking in the same number of carbohydrates. The difference is the rapidity of delivery. How quickly your body can get that carbohydrate from the big pie hole under your nose <laughs> delivered to your cells. That is the only difference, is the speed at which it's delivered. Now, that speed does have certain consequences. One of them is insulin, which we'll talk about in a moment. But at the end of the day, you are delivering the same volume of exactly the same substance to the cells. It's just there's less baggage, the more refined the food is, and therefore the quicker it can be delivered. Okay, Does so that make sense to everyone? Yeah, so basically, two carbohydrate sources. One is in the form of pasta, has 100 grams of carbs, two bowls on the table, We and the other is a bowl of sugar. We consume one, uh, and that is going to get 100 grams of, of glucose uh, to the cells in the body uh, in uh, X amount of time. And then the other, the pasta, is going to deliver the same 100 grams of carbohydrates to the cells, but over a much longer period of time. So there's still the same amount of uh, sugar or carbohydrate hitting the, the various tissue in the body. Yep. Uh, so that's the point you're making there. It's just the speed at which it uh, hits the bloodstream and, and makes it to the cell. Exactly. Yeah. It's purely rapidity of delivery. In the process of delivering that glucose to the cell, if the process is faster or slower, is there a certain amount of carbohydrate that's that's used as fuel in that process? Or is it all that that same 100 grams ends up in the same spot? That's, a, that's actually a 
actually a really common question that people kind of ask sideways. And the answer is yes. Not, there is no free ride in science or biology. Everything costs something. But I'm going to tackle that separately. But the answer is the manipulation and delivery of carbohydrate is by far the most efficient fuel process. Um, for instance, if you eat 100 grams of carbohydrate, you get about 98 grams of carbohydrate worth of energy delivered to your body, meaning the use of cost is about 2%. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you consumed an equal uh, calorie load of protein, uh, about 30% of it is wasted in translating it into a more carbohydrate-like delivery uh, device. Yep, okay. Okay, and, and, and then and, the same thing with fat. It's not as high as protein, but if you take in, you know, 100 calories of fat, um, you really only get about 87, I think is the number they use, delivered to the body. Again, because it's this awkward, non-carbohydrate, non-efficient mechanism. And what about, uh, I think Tom's point was, uh, what about the, the difference between the, the sugar and the, and the pasta? Would there be uh, more energy spent uh, digesting the pasta, uh, then assuming yeah. there would be because it's a longer process, it's more drawn out. Greater cost of delivering. Yes, but it's really, really nominal. It, it, it is it's not, not actually, and the cost there is not actually in dealing with the carbohydrate. Um, the the cost is actually something called the thermic effect of food. Correct. Yeah. The longer yeah. your body has to manipulate something, it's like uh, it's like if you had a little bundle of play-doh and you munched it in your hand. Well, if you just laid the Play-Doh on the table, took its temperature, it would be one thing. But if you continually manipulated it with your hand and then took its temperature, you would find it higher. The action, basic, again, basic, you know, Einsteinian, Newtonian mechanics, motion generates heat. Heat is uh, a release of energy. So the more you manipulate something, the more heat you generate, that heat came from somewhere, typically an energy source. So the answer is yes. But it's very, it's nominal. very nominal, yeah. okay. and it's protracted over all of the foods you eat, yeah. so it's not really discriminant specifically to the carbohydrate. Yeah, be the volume, volume of food, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. All right, that makes sense. All right, we've established that uh, 100 grams of carbs are going to hit the cells no matter what. Yep. Uh, where do we go from here? Well, I mean, how does it get to the cells then, Broderick? Are we, is this where we jump on the insulin train? Well, ultimately, see, and, there, and there's, again, a funny funny question i don't know if you're asking it out of ignorance or out of antagonism but again people must <laughs> understand the very fundamental nature of the body okay every organ and every system of organs does what it does and nothing else your bloodstream is the delivery mechanism the bloodstream is analogous to the highway system of your country that's how shit gets where it's going it goes into the blood and it's shuttled along with the rapids like a boat on a fucking river. That's how it gets places. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's no other means of moving materials around your body. There's no little, you know, minions, you know, carrying buckets. Everything gets into the blood and goes somewhere via the bloodstream. That's your only answer. Yep. So, you know, goes in the hole under your nose, gets to your stomach, is disseminated through some sort of membrane, whether it be in the stomach the lumen, the intestine, and from the transition from that membrane into the bloodstream, and then it's whisked along, quote, somewhere. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's how it's getting there. It's very important you understand that. Yep. Uh, and I hope everybody out there 
uh, if you were smart enough to actually work your you know iPhone or whatever to turn this on, I think you can grasp that. Uh, you, you should. Yes. Yep. Very okay, clear. we're all on the same page. Good. Uh, okay. Where so do we go from here? Now you've got glucose in the blood. Yep. Okay, this is where all the goodness happens. Okay, we're going to take a slight sidestep and talk insulin. Despite the stupid yammerings of American bodybuilding gurus, if you ever hear anyone refer to insulin as a storage hormone, you have my personal permission to unzip your pants and piss directly on their feet. They are an imbecile. <laughs> Good. Done. Make a note of that, Tom. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Okay? Just tell them it's from me. It's important. Okay? There is no such thing as a storage hormone. We are not furniture movers. There is no biological impetus for storage. It's not a survival mechanism. By and large, the more you store, the bigger and slower you are, and the more likely a tiger is to bite your ass. Storage no, is good. stupid, okay? Insulin is a regulatory hormone. And by regulatory, it means it regulates the volume of something somewhere. In this case, the something is glucose, and the somewhere is your bloodstream. Like all processes, there is a lower limit and an upper limit. If you have less than a given amount of glucose, you'll go into a coma and die. That's really bad. We have mechanisms to prevent that. Glucagon, catecholamines, all sorts of clever things. And if your glucose goes too high, your blood gets kind of syrupy, you have a stroke and die. Again, not a very good survival mode. Yep. So we have a hormone known as insulin, which comes along and removes glucose from the blood and the consequence might in fact be storage, but the desired effect is not storage, it's regulation, folks. Yeah, very, big, very good. big difference. Yeah. It sounds like just a trick of words, but it's not, okay? You might try to regulate the amount of money in your pocket, and by doing so, you might put some in the bank. That doesn't mean your goal for the day was to put money in the bank. It means you just don't want to walk around with a lot of money in your pocket. Okay? Very good. That's going to get you robbed. That's a bad survival mechanism. See? All of this stuff makes sense mm -hmm. when you talk about it in words and you just don't listen to some retard like Dave Palumbo who seems to be only interested in selling you something and not actually portraying real science. Okay, stomach, small intestine, into the bloodstream. We've got glucose pumping through the body. We've got insulin in the picture now. Uh, regulatory hormones going to shuttle it, I'm assuming, somewhere. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, yep. Would now be a point to talk about, uh, a lot of our listeners would be familiar with, glycogen. Um, does glucose sure. then hit, is it the liver, produces glycogen, uh, and also at the target tissue, uh, you know, at skeletal muscle, it will also uh, be converted to glycogen and stored there. Is insulin part of that process as well? Or is that independent of, absolutely. of insulin? Absolutely. Now, it is not absolutely vital to that process, but it is a driver of that process. So when I said it regulates, it latches onto glucose that's in your bloodstream, and it takes it somewhere. And Where the somewhere is a very specifically chosen word because the somewhere ultimately depends on predetermined conditions. Correct. If you are a lazy, pie-eating fat ass, you have preconditions of being a lazy, pie-eating fat ass. And that glucose is gonna to go to the most available 
tissue, Adipose which happens tissue. to be your okay? Yep, yep. Because that's the precondition you put in place. However, if you are a highly trained, highly muscular, and dare I say recently trained athlete, you've created the preconditions of large muscle mass and a very receptive muscle mass. So the somewhere that that glucose is going to go is to the most needy tissue, which happens to be preconditioned muscle tissue. Mm, so good. the glucose is going to you know, bind to the surface translocator known as GLUT4. The, the insulin's going to bind that, mediate the transmission, and glucose is going to enter the muscle cells. Muscle cells, not into the mitochondria. It's going to enter into the surface of the muscle. Yeah. Like you put a on your table, it's going to go, it's like injecting you know, one of those flavor syringes into the muscle. Glucose is going to go into that muscle. That is where the glycogen scenario comes in. Okay. Muscle okay. ability to momentarily store a given amount of carbohydrate because that's a very good survival mechanism yep. because as discussed, having carbohydrates prevents death and death is bad. So the muscles are able to take one gram of carbohydrate, bind it to 2.7 grams of water, creating this new molecule known as glycogen, which is really just sugar hydrate. And, and also, I'll just chime in there. So that's also occurring at the liver as well. So if, if liver glycogen stores are uh, needing to be topped up? Yeah, completely separately, completely independently, and uh, might I say completely uh, non-insulin dependent. Your yes. liver will manufacture glucose as needed without any impetus okay. from an outside hormone. It's very uh, designed to do that very thing. Yeah. Okay. So just to uh, get my head around this, the uh, liver always needs a certain amount of glycogen, so it's going to regulate that on its own. Well, if the noggin runs out of uh, glucose, what's it going to do, mate? It's got to come from it's somewhere. It's got to come from somewhere. If, if, if the saber-toothed tiger comes, you need some, yep. some quick energy. We're not in the Millennium Noggin. We've got to run. We've got to run. Liver needs to pump out the glycogen. Yep. So we get that. Right. In regards to the muscle and the fat storage, basically, the insulin's just trying to regulate the blood. So it's Correct. going to get the it's going to get the glucose out of the Ooh, blood wherever it, wherever it can. can exactly. And so if the muscle's ready and prepared for it, well, well and good, it'll and, go and, there. And you have a lot of muscle. That's going to be preferential. Preferential. No muscle. Yep. No training. A lot of fat tissue. An abundance of fat tissue. Where is it more likely to be stored? It'll just go there. Doesn't matter to the insulin. It just wants to get it out of the blood. Yep. Exactly. That's the thing. People have built this model basically because of quote gurus completely misleading them, um, you know, and I won't mention which Dave Palumbo is responsible for that, but it's one of the famous ones. Um, it, this, this idea that insulin's a, a fat progenating demon, you know, insulin's job is to, to store and to make fat. That's fucking stupid. You know, why would you even have such, think about it from a survival mechanism. Why would you even have such a device within your body? It, it, it's completely mindless. That's I think for a lot of people out there, that will be a totally different paradigm of the way mm. they, the way they think about insulin. Simplified it. It's good. We love layman's terms on this program. Okay, so I'll zip back my pants back up. I don't have to piss on Tom's foot at the moment. <laughs> he didn't use the phrase "insulin's a storage home," but if you do, Tom, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm just going to start it. wearing shoes. Yes. Okay, so now we're at a place where we've got some glucose in the muscle cell. Mm -hmm. uh, it's combining yeah. with a little bit of water. Yep. And that's where we're up to. Actually, a lot of bit of water. It's more water than glucose. Correct. It's 1 to 2.7. 2.7, okay. Just, just as a, as a you know, little side note, okay. um, 
gly glycogen is really more water than glucose. Yep. Okay. Okay. So we're up to there. So, so now that we, we have glycogen, is this now the the actual uh, the fuel source that the body can use or the mitochondria can use? Correct. And what will happen then is a very complicated, um, detailed college level dissertation on the Krebs cycle, where it takes carbohydrate and breaks it down into these all these complicated metabolites: pyruvic acid to pyruvate to. Yeah. To lactic acids, all these different things, and each stage in that spits out a little piece of the ultimate ATP that's bound together, and that tiny little ATP is what then crosses the membrane into the mitochondria and is actually powering life. Okay, and that's all occurring in the cell. Correct. Jeez, they're complicated things, those cells, Tom. Are they, aren't Absolutely. they amazing? Yeah. Aren't they amazing? Right. Okay. So yep. I think we're now we're in a position to actually start to examine what happens or, or the negative effects uh, of a very low carbohydrate diet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Well, here's 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 the uh, analogy I like to use for that. Um, again, talking about when we talk about like you know fat generates this much ultimate energy to the body, protein a different amount, and carbohydrates much more. Think about it um, in terms of uh, the, w the way I usually coach Americans because it's something they're able to focus their ADD-based brains on very well, is money. Think of ATP as American money. Uh, this is not a point of national pride. It's just a point of, of reference. American money is pretty much the prime money worldwide. It's the one everybody can understand, everybody can relate to. It's the benchmark. That's ATP, folks. So now every other <laughs> currency has to be either in fact or mathematically converted into American money. It, again, pretty simple. So how the world economics works. So if you have a very low carbohydrate based diet, hmm. you're always underpaid because you're getting paid in fucking pesos and they're worth shit. So it takes <laughs> an enormous pile of pesos to make one American dollar to convert into the necessary ATP. So yes, people get very excited. Oh, it's a, it, I'm consuming an enormous amount of energy. You are, but it's doing cartwheels just to get one dollar when you could just make a fucking dollar. It's absolute and positively unnecessary biological activity. And boys and girls, just like the analogy from earlier talks about a factory, the harder you run the factory, the quicker the workers get tired, the quicker your shit runs out, the quicker your machinery breaks, the harder you use something, the quicker it wears out. Okay, okay. so the point you're making there, Broderick, is fundamentally give the body what it wants, first and foremost. Right. And, and, and jump through hoops and, to manufacture something you're denying it. Yeah, and, and it's not like you're saying it's the only way to exist and you're saying great you can use pesos or new zealand dollars if you want but you know it's it's it's, it's, it's why not just give it carbohydrates exactly at the end of the day whether you're willing to believe it or not even if you're the most paleo or ketogenic idiot in the world at the end of the day you are still burning the same fuel as everyone else you just had to make 40 different chemical processes to get it where all i had to do was eat some pasta. Mm. Is there any benefit at all to the energy spent 
on converting a peso into a US dollar. Well, that dollar. sounds like it's a good point, Tommy. If we're in the business of well, increasing energy expenditure, that, is, that, that might make some that sense. Is, that is the allure of those sorts of diets, mm. is you have to break down a pound of fat to get a half a pound of energy. It, in reality, that's accurate. And if you were, and I will make this, I will make this concession. If you were ridiculously fat, you know, if you were 50, 40, maybe even 30% body fat, that might be a reasonable way to do business for a short time because you will shed vast volumes of stored energy. Absolutely. But if you're within the realms of this conversation, i.e. even vaguely athletic, you now don't want to waste energy. Most people really don't want to waste energy. So as you approach fitness, the, the concept of low carbohydrates becomes ever less relevant. And then ultimately you cross a threshold where it becomes ridiculously detrimental. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's painted a bit, uh, painted a picture for our listeners. So Broderick's basically agreeing that a low carbohydrate diet certainly have its, has its place for uh, the obese and the extreme population or the demographic of the population that uh, that's really, really, really out of shape. Yep. But as soon as there's any sort of, uh, uh, you know, acceptable level of body fat and some desire to have a performance uh, with training in any way, shape or form or a, a day-to-day performance, shall we say, just in cognitive function and all of the above, then you really can't uh, overlook the, the, the fundamental inherent biological... Mm design of, of carbohydrates being yes, the preferred yes. fuel source. Uh, and again, you know, kind of a, maybe it's maybe it's overkill with the analogies, but the uh, another analogy, Americans are very responsive to car analogies. They uh they they really get cars, automobiles. And your car, you go to the dealership, buy a car, it's designed to run on gasoline, internal combustion yeah. engine. Yeah. But with contrivements, you can make it run on all sorts of things. Peanut oil, alcohol, uh, even propane. It requires you do some shit, and at the end of the day, it never runs quite as well. Yeah. But you yeah. can, in fact, do it. That's good. That's exactly the same scenario here as right. the carbohydrate to low-carbohydrate low diet. You can make the damn machine run on an inferior fuel. You absolutely can. But the, the rational question would be, why? Why would you do that? Yeah. Gasoline's cheap, available, accessible. Uh, it's the you don't need any contrivement. It just works. Why would you go out of your way to violate that? Mm. Okay, to be uh, a little antagonistic, devil's again, advocate again, Broderick. Let's say that we want the car to, to be more efficient when it gets the premium mm. unleaded, high octane. So we're gonna we're gonna use some peanut oil for a period of time. Take all the carb- <laughs> Where are you going with this one? You've lost gonna, me already. Go. We're going to take all the carbohydrates out of the out of the diet. Go okay. low carb for peanut oil. Time, yep. Run off peanut oil in the widget factory. So, yeah. <laughs> so that we're super insulin sensitive. Ah, yeah. Uh, so that we can utilize the premium unleaded carbohydrates ah. when they come back into the diet. What about that? Yeah, take well, that one. Well, you just described <laughs> the two weeks prior to an actual bodybuilding contest because at that point your goal is to deplete the muscles of their stored glycogen, expend all endogenous fuel sources, and then cram, as it were, chemically via carbohydrate and insulin, 
So that's what a bodybuilding you know, preparatory period, the quote, carb up would be very specifically. Yeah. But if you take that and expand it into an actual lifestyle, that doesn't sound very efficacious to normal life. Going relatively low carb and developing this absurd insulin sensitivity, along with all the concurrent hormonal disruptions that are going to come with that, and then suddenly start dumping a bunch of carbohydrates in there, even though carbohydrates are metabolic gold, um, you know, if your car is out of fuel and you just suddenly just start dumping fuel in it ad nauseum, um, there's probably going to be a problem. You're probably going to have a, some sort of a, you know, a fire or some something's going to go fucking wrong. Let's... I'm not enough of a car guy to really tell you what that is, but I, I'm sure it's not good in the long, you know, the long term there. Let's... So those kind of goofy contrivements and manipulations are basically we're talking about preconditions. You're setting up the wrong preconditions. Broderick, let's again while we're using analogies, let's uh, use Tom's peanut oil one. <laughs> so we've got the car. So again, one of the things that we've spoken about um, it was in reference to my boys uh, and girls coming into the the Arnold Classic that recently went. Yeah, uh, carb loading. You all did wonderful and looked great, by the way. Thanks, dude. Thanks. Um, one of the things that you spoke about, or you you made me aware of. And could possibly be that scenario, and we'll use the analogy, so we have gone low carb we've, in an attempt to improve sensitivity, gone the peanut oil. One might say, okay, well, when we go back to gasoline, we've set the car up for peanut oil, so we don't actually work very well on gasoline. It might be a time before we've got to get the car tuned up again. It has to be yep. uh, changed back to be able to be efficient in using carbohydrates or gasoline as a fuel source. Right. And, and do you think that has some merit where when we do go low carb and my question was simply just for a couple of days and you said well if you go super low carb for two days then you dump carbohydrates back in on game day well there might be some down regulation of 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 uh, enzymatic activity for the optimal processing of carbohydrates so are you sort of in one sense when we go low carb uh, we're okay we're taking the the potential fuel that's causing some insulin sensitivity issues but we're also on another the flip side of the coin we're also decreasing the body's ability to utilize carbohydrates because those enzymatic pathways are down regulated is, does that have any merit do you feel that that's uh, another thing to consider when we're going deliberately cutting carbohydrates or you know going into a keto style nutrition plan I think that falls under something that I've repeated over and over, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, uh, uh, attacking you, but I mean, all of this is action over time. Any, anytime you want a paradigm shift, you don't get it in a day or even a week. It takes a long time. So just to get the body to efficiently run on a low carbohydrate diet is going to take weeks and weeks. And then the converse of that is going to be equally uh, relevant to then turn it back to a well-running carbohydrate metabolism is going to take a long period of time. Um, for my money, I just don't see that contrivance worth the trouble. Um, I have seen people lose vast amounts of body fat with low-carbohydrate diets, but I always think every single time, without fail, that they could have done exactly the same in a carbohydrate-rich environment, it might have taken a little longer, but I think it would have come at less metabolic cost in the long run. 
And, and, and I think that's the point, and, and the, something that we have all uh, echo quite uh, consistently on the program, and I think you'll also agree, fundamentally, those individuals that have uh, had great success on, on a low-carbohydrate diet, let's have a look at what the key driver of that diet and the, <laughs> the fat loss uh, success is. It's energy balance. They mm. undoubtedly, okay, well, I'll cut carbohydrates out, so they just took a 1,000 calories out of their diet by, by cutting calories and going low-carb, but it wasn't really the no carbs it was the thousand calorie deficit so they could have well and a lot of times and again i did mention that i'm not a psychologist or sociologist but a lot of times it happens to be um the demonic food group it's the one that they tend to have a predilection for and so by excising it they're literally excising all of their favorites and leaving themselves typically with foods that are a bit mundane to their palate and so they're less likely to overeat, you know, steak or sausage or whatever the hell protein source they have because what they really want is cake and they've determined that they're not eating cake. Mm. Okay. So okay. let's uh, we'll go out of the analogies and into the real world. Let's okay. say we've got someone doing some sort of uh, carb cycling process where maybe they go two or three days really low carb, then they have a third or fourth day of polywaffle, of twat waffle, yeah. <laughs> have twat Continue. waffles with maple syrup. <laughs> um, is two days of low carbohydrate going to down-regulate that enzymatic machinery that processes carbohydrates or three days or does it vary from person to person? Well, undoubtedly, as we've discussed over and over through these talks, there is individual variance based on muscle mass and, you know, genome and all of that stuff. Yep. Um, you know, it just, it just so happens that people of West African extraction have particularly high insulin resistance, and those people almost certainly wouldn't rebound in two days. Whereas it's also pretty well established through scientific literature that people from East Asia um, respond really well to carbohydrates and probably would re- re- rebound in that period of time. But in general, taking into account the bell curve of humanity, no, it's just you're eating a bunch of calories in one part of the week and a few calories in the other part of the week, and the law of averages brings you out to yeah. an average and effective diet. Um, you're just choosing to do it in spastic bouts of, of gastronomic <laughs> so, you know, display. Yeah. But it's 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 ultimately the law of averages. It's all biology is action over time. Okay. And and so while we're talking about that, and and I do have this conversation with with various people in the industry, they talk about certain you know like a three two or a three one you know carb cycling and and it has really good effect. I mean fundamentally, we're looking at if if not a snapshot in time in a in a in a day of the microcycle, we're looking at the the length of the microcycle microcycle, and it's not necessarily the the three and the one and then low then high. It really is what the energy balance is on those days, and and in that seven, fourteen, one month, two month, three month time frame, how big a deficit the individual was in mm. uh, uh, in their energy balance, and that is what's going to mediate that Absolutely. that body composition yeah. change, irrespective of uh, a particular macronutrient that you jack up yeah. or pull down. It's it's yeah. really it's not a game changer. Like it, it it's not no. uh, yeah. nominal. The the what it will actually. Well, there uh, is there is one again, and not being the psychologist sociologist, I'm not necessarily the most qualified person to speak on it. But I will mention that I acknowledge it's a reality, and that is, if by chance your emotional state or your yeah. uh, lifestyle is yep. such that that makes it easier for you to 
achieve your yeah. macronutrient yeah. balance, yep. eating on certain days and not on others or whatever, if you're able to uh, embrace and engage the program more efficiently, it might in fact be a quote, big rabbit ears, better diet. Not because it's chemically or nutritionally better, but it might simply be something you adhere to more. Yes, yes, because yeah. ultimately, I agree. Um, engagement is you know, the, the key. If you're not doing it, it's not gonna fucking work. Yeah, yes. Very good and point. Those averages Very over time. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. that's a good point. Okay. That's a good point. So, the, so the, it, those sort of carb cycling may just fit with your psychology and your and, lifestyle, and your lifestyle and the whole far lot. more yeah, than, yeah. than just negative energy balance over time. That's cool. a very good point. Very good All point. Right. So, uh, another scenario, Broderick, let's say that the calories are getting quite low and you don't have a huge amount of macronutrients to play with, um, but you'd like to keep those uh, the enzymatic machinery that we refer to that, that processes carbohydrates running. What would be the minimum amount of carbohydrates that you could have per day to still keep the the, the system running well off the premium un- unleaded you know like is yeah. is 20 grams intra workout going to keep it going or do you need to have you know uh, well, I, I actually 50 to 100. approach that from completely the other direction um quite literally the way i design any diet and i think this is pretty much the way the medical industry would design any diet if they were actually tasked to that purpose and that is Um, These things operate on a function of body weight. You as a person have a given body mass and you require a given number of grams of nitrogen per kilogram of body weight, period. Mm. That's the amount you need. Keyword is need. If you don't have that, you are in deficit. If you have more than that, you are in excess. Need in science is a very specific and relevant word. So you run on are 100 kilograms approximately. So therefore, by my scientific acumen, I would say you need between two and three grams of nitrogen per kilogram. So that's your need. You never are gonna get less than that because more or less than that is telling you physiologically to make a change, get bigger or smaller. I don't want your muscle mass to get bigger or smaller momentarily. So you're always going to consume, let's say 300 grams. That's it, that's the answer. And then there's a commensurate number to fat. You have a mass of 100 kilograms. So you need, and this number is highly debated, I actually use just one gram per kilogram because it's nice, easy math. The real number might be 0.7, 0.8. Um, I'm not really prepared to argue. I have that, con- every time I talk to Lyle McDonald, I argue about that for an hour. So I'm not <laughs> doing that here. Yeah. But there's a fixed number and it's determined by science. I'm gonna round it to one. So you get, you you get 100 grams of fat and you get 300 grams of protein and that comes out to a given calorie load and that's the minimum amount you can have okay so now every additional calorie that you need to perform your daily activity guess where it comes from fucking carbohydrates that's it that's how you determine it there's no other answer this this goofy like oh if you don't get 27.2 grams you're going to be catabolic shut up it's stupid you determine the things that you absolutely need you get them and then you supply the things that you want that's how life works in every aspect okay very very good and i love that and i've embraced some of those uh uh, absolutes with my demographic and they're it's working a treat so for our listeners if you want to use those numbers go for it um right. i guess and what even ta- if you don't I- like my numbers specifically <laughs> the yeah. concept that there is in fact a right answer yeah. and it's determinable 
I mean, I'm completely comfortable having an argument about the specific number. Yeah, you know, it sure. might be 1.8 grams, or it might be 3.2, or yeah. you know, it might be whatever. But the answer is, there's a fucking answer. Yeah. That's how science works. Yeah. If there's no answer, then we're all just masturbating all over the place, and yeah. there's no point in any of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, well, look, ma- masturbating is quite okay in the uh, now that we've got the shag right. pile rug. But uh, Broderick, well, I guess I guess what Tommy was alluding to is, okay, cool, we've you've established that, so we've got the absolutes for me. Uh, two to three hundred grams of protein and, and hundred grams of fat. We're reducing energy. Where can I take that carbohydrate that was X amount because I was, uh, you know, maintenance of however many calories when I started the dieting. I've whittled it down. Now I'm at the the bare minimum, so I'm down at a, a three hundred grams of protein and 100 grams of fat i've reduced carbohydrates down i guess tommy's uh, what he's trying to ask is i he still wants the enzymatic pathways the body able to process carbohydrates efficiently is there a number where you deem okay i don't like going below 50 if someone's 100 you know 0.5 uh, grams of carbohydrates per kilo where they're still functioning on carbs but it's the absolute minimum and then we look at increasing uh, energy expenditures through cardiovascular training or, or changing the training paradigm uh, in the resistance training, do you have any numbers there, or, um, or because it's only for a short? I, I see what you're getting at, and you're you're kind of asking me a, 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 a kind of a, a question that I hate, and I, I, I like to dodge it um, <laughs> because the answer is you can go to zero. I mean, that's that's ultimately what you know a ketogenic state is. But that idea of what's the minimum amount that will kind of preserve the system the the answer is there really is no number that of that because even even if you were to be fully ketogenic and this is something that the ketogenic crowd just won't acknowledge they they have this you'll you'll hear these words they'll hear these phrases they'll say well i've made the flip i've made the transition (laughs) i'm now running on ketones and sweet that is in fact a result of a ketogenic diet your brain preferentially take you know takes up ketones over glucose but the reality is the moment they literally and this is medical fact this is not my opinion everyone out there who doesn't believe me fucking start googling assholes okay the minute you touch <laughs> carbohydrates to your tongue your body leaves ketosis okay so the minimum amount is any that will break the cycle of ketosis because right. by its very definition it's an unnatural state yeah. now what number specifically will preserve those enzyme systems I actually have never put a moment's thought v- into it. Uh, I could I could put a little thought into it and get back to you, but the basic answer is always the more the better. Mm. The more carbohydrates you can eat and still remain in a somewhat energy balance, the better your overall metabolic health is going to be. End of story. Now, I concede that that's usually not a viable option. <laughs> you usually have to take things to extremes to achieve single-digit body fat. Mm. I get that. But the answer is what the answer is, and that is the more the merrier. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, how long is that piece of string we could throw out there? <laughs> but I guess, I guess what he's saying there, Tommy, is in a perfect world where you're not prepping for a, a you know single-digit body comp yeah. uh, show, 
you still want to utilize some carbohydrates in that low energy intake. So a nice uh, macronutrient spread, so yep. some fats, some protein, some carbs, that would be the perfect scenario. And I will jump in there and say from what I've sort of read and heard people talk about, uh, when they do go into ketosis, um, colleagues will rattle off, you know, they can still consume 100 grams of carbohydrates a day and be in a state of, ke- state of ketosis. Absolutely well, m- m- measuring uh, ketones, whether it's... Uh, you know uh, the urine, uh, the acetate in the urine, but um, and whether they're actually in true ketosis or you know that might be debatable. But um, well, again, again, that's people just not understanding how complex the body is. The, the, you you can you know for instance, I take a big shot of testosterone and then next week I don't take one. Do I get to say, oh, I'm drug free? No, my ass is still loaded up with testosterone. <laughs> it's just I'm not taking more. Don't be an idiot. So if you're in ketosis, you've generated a bunch of ketone bodies and they're in your bladder and now you eat fucking pie, it doesn't go down to your bladder and dismantle those ketones. They're still in there and you're still going to pee them and you're still going to appear as if at least your cock is still in ketosis. So, (laughs) (laughs) all right, well, that's a little bit controversial on the podcast. So your, your position on this would be... Um, being in a state of ketosis, uh, fundamentally your carbohydrate intake is is zero, and uh, when there is carbohydrates, are you, are you suggesting that they're uh, sort of in and out of ketosis, where they'll still be producing Absolutely. some ketones, and then some uh, they're they're running on a combination of both, and that's why they're picking up ketones in their bloodstream, but they would not, uh, and in rabbit's ears, uh, quoting full full ketosis if they're consuming say 100 grams of carbohydrates it's simply that there is an ebb and flow between ketosis and 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 out of ketosis and and that's what they're yeah, and if you're a very big muscular person 100 grams of carbohydrates doesn't go very far you might be back in ketosis in 30 minutes but mm, the, yeah. the idea that you're not during that consumption of glucose is absolutely asinine. It violates everything everyone knows about physiology. Okay. All right. So to clarify that, because this is a little bit my bonnet on this one. Okay. So the scenario you're picturing is when they consume those carbohydrates, be it they have uh, 50 grams, 75 grams of carbohydrates at dinner, you would be saying, cool story, you are actually coming out of ketosis when you have those carbohydrates, but then within a given 24-hour period, they pee onto a... Uh, a pH strip in the morning or a ketone uh, beta hydroxybutyrate they prick the blood in the morning and they go oh I'm back in ke- uh, I'm still in ketosis this is fantastic I can exist on 75 grams of carbohydrates and be in ketosis your point is cool story you're coming out of ketosis as soon as you have that 75 gram of carbs and then the body being a, like you said a big muscular physique you're going back into a state of ketosis because 75 grams of carbs is F all and it's not really going to do much by way of switching on the body back into a carbohydrate fueled non ketone fueled machine absolutely yeah, uh, perfect. Okay. That's exactly the answer. Yeah, okay. I was on a roll. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I was just rubbing my toes which, through the shag pile in- carpet. Interestingly, ties into one of the analogies we used earlier: is if a creature is in the wild and it's been starving for weeks and weeks, and it makes one kill, is it not starving anymore? Yeah. Again, yeah. same okay. scenario. So it's still You're a big muscular guy that's been in ketosis for a couple of days or weeks, and you have one feeding. Are you still starving? Technically, yes. Wait a Although second. Momentarily, holy moly, no. we're, we're going somewhere with this one. So we're pretty much saying these these damn ketone supplements, you don't even really need them. The body will back into a state of ketosis, lickety-split anyway. So of save your money, folks. 
controversial. Uh, well, that, I mean, that's just that's just b- b- beyond obvious. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's like a, that's like an insulin sub, su- you know, supplement. You need an insulin supplement? No, you just need a fucking sugar cube. It's just <laughs> very good. Fucking, yeah. Pretty right. straightforward, folks. That, that that might be a conversation for the next installment of the Evil Genius. I thought that was uh, pretty good on on carbohydrates. Then we went sideways, backwards, went forwards a little bit. Then we jumped over a few <gasps> hurdles. I thought that was pretty good and and quite well. Uh, uh, you know, you went off on a on a little huffity tangent once or twice, but that wasn't too bad. Righto, Very Broderick. Good. Well, I mean, I know we woke you out of your slumber, but it's probably mm. time to get back to bed. I know you're yeah. tired. Yeah, that yeah. insomnia is kicking in. It's yeah. been uh, 42 years of insomnia now, so we got to uh, we're gonna yeah. have to. I mean, look, as far as uh, from a biological standpoint, if Broderick sleeps for eight hours, he's still an insomniac. He is. That's right. Yeah, that like is, it. that is exactly accurate. <laughs> I love that. That was good, Tommy. Very good. All Very right, good. mate. Uh, so before. We uh, before we wrap that one up for good, Broderick. How do the guys get in contact with you if they'd like to consult, or they or they have problems that need solving, or they want coaching? Full yeah. stop. Well, first of all, I would absolutely love to speak to anyone that's interested in contacting me, and I'm available across the entire pantheon of social media. But without a doubt, the most effective and most direct to me is to go through the Team Evil GSP website, www.teamevilgsp.com. There's a form you can fill out for the uh, newsletter, and there's a Contact Us page that goes directly to me, literally to my cell phone. I will see it minutes after you do it. Um, so if you just title it, you know, console, pricing, whatever, or you even just blurt out your question right there, um, I will see it, I will contact you, and we can move forward from there. Awesome. Sounds All right, great. Very good. Uh, we look forward to getting you back on the program soon and uh, delving balls deep into another topic, Broderick. Absolute <laughs> pleasure having you on. Uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, Broderick. Thank you. It's off the list for you now, isn't it? It is. Yeah, which is or a is shame. it? <laughs> well, you have to rationalise. Yes. Yeah. Something different. Now there he was, uh, Roderick Chavez, the evil genius. Heated. Very heated on the yeah. uh, on the subject of ketosis, but yeah. I, I guess it comes down to Rodin, you know how you define or the where you draw the line between low carbohydrate and a pure ketogenic diet, which. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, it has always been zero carb, like really low protein. Yeah, 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 and that's been my understanding of things as well. And I think the point he make, he made there, made perfect sense. Like yes. from a from a, a physiological, biological background, as soon as carbohydrates are in the system, why would the body well, not use them? It, yes, it's it's designed to run on carbohydrates. So as soon yes. as any carbs, you're still going to be in a state of ketosis. Uh, at, at a point after you've consumed the carbs but while you consume those carbohydrates in that modified keto diet if you want to call it that you are reverting back to a, you're not burning ketones you're running on you know glucose fascinating really interesting stuff yeah. changes the, the perspective on you know how to write a nutrition plan I guess but, yeah. but certainly if performance is the key motivation for a plan yeah yeah, yeah 100% and, and, and I think uh, look a, a keto style diet for, for gen pop that are, that are not uh I mean, look, we could always argue more carbs, train harder, train harder, build muscle, all that type of stuff. But that aside, you know, I think um, th- there certainly is merit for more of a, a keto-style yeah. uh, nutrition plan, certainly. Yeah. I think Broderick may have alluded to that, to the, the particularly obese, and yes. that makes sense. Yeah. But and certainly a more of an unhealthy population. 
it's definitely a good approach to start with. Yeah. And what, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Just to balance that one out. Well, there he was. We'll have him back on in another couple of weeks. You and I will be back in here next week with we some will? exciting stuff. We've got some great guests coming up on the show in the next few weeks, by the way. We, we have. We yeah. have. We've got some really good guests. And, and excitingly, we uh, we had a little bit of a uh, meeting of the, the Noggins yes. just outside the Millennium Noggin. Yep. But uh, re the the upcoming uh, no. under the bar yeah. <laughs> under the bar it was funny uh, for our listeners Tom said all right all right so we we, we, we nutted out the concept and uh, so it's going to be a fat loss primarily uh, a fat loss style of uh, of uh, seminar this time yep and uh, <laughs> you looked at me and you had pen and paper and it was like oh so when should we do July when should we? and I said mate it's fat as, as far away as possible <laughs> for now yeah. so you went okay last weekend in July so, yeah so um, look at but you look there is a part of us that that. Uh, we've, we're actually for our listeners we're going to design this one where we, we have to prep very very little for it yes you know so we'll, we'll in just true under the bar fashion yeah yeah true under the bar fashion but, but I think there's a little bit of us that's quite excited about that coming up well probably not but anyway that's coming up that was exciting so that's in July the end of July yep uh, but yeah lots of guests it's going to be a, a huge year for uh, under the bar okay look we've really polywaffled on here well thank you for listening yeah. thank you for sticking with it and uh-huh. we'll talk to you next week yep Ha, 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 ha.